Hello and welcome everyone. You are listening to Ohrid Conferences podcast with 3DS. In this Christmas episode, we have two very special guests. First one is Marek Zamechnik, founder of Ohrid Conferences and current CEO of Vesperi, and the second one is managing director of 3TS Pekameki. I'm passing the word to you Yasmina now. Thank you very much, Pavel, and welcome to everyone also from my side. My name is Yasmina and I'm Communications and Investment Manager at Pritias Capital Partners and I am your host today. This episode is a Christmas special and this is why we invited also some special guests. Since this podcast is a collaboration between 100 conferences and Pritias, hence also the name, this is why we invited today those who stand behind the organization. So it's a great pleasure today to have managing partner of Fritjes, Pekka Mekki, and founder of O100 Conferences, Marek Samichny. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. They both have years and decades of experience in venture capital and private equity. So let's start with you telling us a few words about your careers. I would like to start with Marek. He, besides being a founder of 100 conferences, is also CEO of Bestberry, which is a digital tool used in venture capital. And he's done also a number of other activities. So Marek, tell us a little bit about your career and how did you land in the industry? Hi. Yeah, well, thanks for the, for the short introduction to elaborate on that. Um, yes, I'm uh, one of the founders or co-founders of uh, 100 conferences, which, uh, as you may know, is... Uh, European platform to connect uh, LPs and GPs in the local communities in in Europe. Uh, currently, I'm a CEO of a software as a service for private equity and venture uh, capital funds. Westbury, we help with fund management and portfolio automations. Um, what is my history, my background? Um, I think around 2013, I started you know, to work in Southeast Asia for one of the venture builders and investment funds called Nova Founders Capital where I was responsible for a few of the portfolio companies to bring them from idea uh, to the company stage, let's call it for further funding. And in between, uh, also I co-founded a venture studio called O100 Ventures, uh, which is also a venture builder here in Central Europe. And we have a portfolio of companies and activities and also a small uh, investment vehicle uh, for, for the Slovak ecosystem. Thank you very much, Marek. Let's switch over to Pekka. Pekka has been with FreeTS for nearly 20 years now, or maybe even over 20 years. Uh, so I think it's safe to say that he's a private equity veteran and has a really a huge experience in the industry. But Pekka, you started as a developer yourself. So tell us a little bit about your journey as well. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Osmina. So, uh, yeah, actually, it's not over 20 years. It's 17 years now with, with 3DS. But um, so, yeah, I, I, I started uh, studying computer science at the university. And, and really, after half a year of, uh, of, of programming studies at that time with C++ and COBOL and Fortran and some of the very ancient languages in the computer Uh, field, I realized that there will always be better better programmers than I am, so so or I ever will be. So I decided to um, start helping people setting up companies and marketing and selling 
um, software and, and hardware products. So that's really what happened throughout the studies, um, several spin-offs out of the university. And I ended up being a, a kind of an angel investor or a, a co-founder of uh, multiple companies early early in the in the university years. After that, I um, I went into management consulting, working um, at a company that today is a part of uh, Cap Gemini Consulting, um, and and uh, from there went on to on to entrepreneurial activities in the advertising, marketing, and media field. So. Um, throughout um, the 90s, got involved in international advertising agencies. We essentially built two groups um, and, and had the fortune to exit this to um, global holding companies. Um, and then uh, with the bit of money I made, I became an active angel investor. And while I was uh, angel investing, went uh, through the dot-com boom and bust. Uh, and at that time, even if I, <laughs> I sort of uh, didn't get the best of the boom and, and didn't suffer too much in the past, I always thought that it would be nicer to work with the, with the team um, instead of being a solo angel investor. And that's how I started having more interaction with various VCs um, uh, some 20 years ago. And one of these VCs was, was 3TS. Uh, capital partners that had been uh, founded by by other people, by LPs and the initial team in in 1999 um, with the Pan Regional Fund uh, for for Eastern Europe. And and when I started started talking to them in 2001 and two, um, it became evident that this early stage investing is a uh, is a quite a risky business. Um, and the more I learned about it, the more I started thinking that uh, investing in the expansion growth stage is, is probably what I want to do. And then um, joined 3TS in the beginning of 2003, really with the mandate to start, uh, start investing more into companies that already have several millions of, uh, of revenue, if not more. So that's uh, what happened, and and uh, you know things have been very nice, and a lot of things have obviously changed. And I think next we want to talk about some of these changes that have happened over the last 10, 15 years in the industry. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Pekka, for the introduction as well. I would indeed love to talk to you two today about the development of the venture capital and private equity industry over the last 10 years, but also especially over the last somewhat special year. I think we all agree that there has been a lot of change in the funds landscape, in the LP landscape, in the way people and funds fundraise and the behavior of all the stakeholders. So I want to know from you, what have you really seen happening over the last years? Let's maybe start with the changes in the funds landscape. What do you see happening there? Let's uh, maybe yeah go ahead <laughs> yeah um i i think I, I can observe it mostly from the the regional perspective uh and let's call it you know the central europe uh, area where we've seen of course a lot of public capital uh of 
well, LP capital to be deployed into first-time fund managers or existing managers. Um, of course, there is, there is a lot of discussion whether public capital is good or not good. Uh, but uh, in the last, well, let's see, let's call it seven uh, to ten years, I think it is. It was absolutely crucial to to have this capital uh, to create, you know, the first funds. Uh, to start deploying capital in venture and private equity and really to foster the whole asset class here in the region because it was non-existent before you know during the uh, in the 90s and communism like the, the capital markets were were not existent and now this is a first wave of of capital that uh, will create or is creating the whole asset class so um the, the another another topic is then you know the the private capital from private private individuals which is not so activated yet but I think that's why the, the the public money and these new funds that were popping up in the last years um, are are the important drivers to activate the private capital down the road, uh, so we can get into more uh, mature ecosystem. So um, I think yes, there has been a lot of activity, a lot of new funds, uh, but I think it's absolutely critical uh, for the long term to build a sustainable ecosystem of of having these private equity and venture funds supporting small and medium companies in the in the whole region so um yeah so in from my perspective uh, definitely definitely good so we need to wait i think a little more to to get uh, to some interesting returns to motivate the the private sector but um it's it's absolutely crucial that these numbers will will grow and uh, according to data it is growing so i think we are we're on a good way and yeah, so kind of my my central european perspective on the topic thank you marek pekka do you want to comment on that well, I can certainly echo that various public support programs like the Jeremy program managed by EIF or local governments in many countries have certainly brought back, I would say, a lot of early stage funds. There are in every country now, I would say, between 5 to 15, even 20 active funds in, in, in sort of from maybe from 10 or 15 million at the lower end to about 50 or 100 million at the higher end, which have been set up purely with the help of uh, public EU or local government support. So that's, that's important and that has been a big, big change. Ten years ago, there were literally two, three funds in every country max, and some countries didn't have any institutional, professional, um, early stage funds. When we look at um, uh, look at what happens above that, uh, so sort of in the next layer of growth stage funds and smaller buyout funds, there actually the development ha ha has been in many countries not so fast. And even in some countries, some funds have disappeared. Uh, the reason being that the, the uh, fundraising markets have sort of went into two directions. At the lower end and early stage venture, there's quite a lot of interest from private individuals to invest and plus uh, uh, to add to these public support programs. Whereas in the middle, you need institutional LPs who are able to do 10 to 20 million um, commitments into funds. And there are less and less LPs in this range. Because the bigger LPs have consolidated and now want to deploy 30 million or 50 million or, or even some don't go any lower than 100 million. Um, so, so that requires the funds to be half a billion, billion or even larger uh, because no LP really wants to have more than 10% normally. 
So, so in the middle, the going has got tougher. There are enough funds in Europe, but maybe not funds that uh, would have active operations in some of the smaller countries. So that's obviously a development which is not healthy. And I think uh, we need more local LPs, institutions, pension funds, banks uh, to get back to the asset class. Um, so I think that's one of the issues that we are, we are facing. Yes, actually. And this leads us really nicely to what actually happened in the LP landscape. You already mentioned a few things. Do you want to comment any further on what really changed in terms of LPs? Well, I, I, think, uh, I think some of the changes I just mentioned, but uh, adding to that, maybe one of the things is that uh, at, at the smaller end, it's really private individuals, serial entrepreneurs, wealthy um, people, through either directly or through pooled vehicles have started to invest into the smaller funds. We, we also see in Europe, in some countries, there are sort of middlemen who build new types of fund of funds by collecting people, uh, money from private individuals um, and have, have in the last two to three years collected several hundreds of millions um, and, and then make uh, maybe five to 10 million commitments into the funds. So this is a new phenomenon. And I, I think that will continue. My, my personal guess is that we, when we add technology to this, if the, if the legislators want to encourage private people to invest more into the asset class, um, I think either by lowering the thresholds because currently it really takes at least 100,000 uh, euro investment or commitment uh, for private people to participate because they need to be so-called professional, well-informed investors. But if that threshold is lowered so that people with from a couple of thousand onwards uh, and then we add to this mix sort of digital crowdfunding. So I see one of the very interesting developments that are, is just time is that by the press of a button, you could actually raise 10 or 20 or 50 million um, for, as an LP, uh, as a GP from, from an LP base consisting of hundreds or thousands of uh, private individuals. So I, I think uh, uh, it's starting, but I, I think uh, technology and, and uh, regulators' willingness to allow this will change, just like the mutual funds became large when, when general public was able to access this. So I think that same will happen one way or another in, in, uh, in venture and, and private equity. Yes, and I would actually love to hear Marek's perspective on this because he's been looking a lot into digitalization in the industry. So what have we been really seeing in terms of digitalization? It can be anything from, you know, automation of, screening for opportunities, but also uh, remote work, especially now during COVID, but also investor relations and reporting. So what developments do we see there? Um, absolutely. I think this is a, this is a massive topic that um, was under the radar for, for so, so long. I think, uh, you know, when we started Bestbury, um, we when we started with the market research, we realized that most of the activities at the fund level and the, at the GP level are done in Excel or, you know, Microsoft Office world, let's call it. 
Um, and we understood that, you know, this is not sustainable in this, you know, in the, in the 21st century. So, and, you know, there are many, many activities or kind of processes that can be automated, digitized, improved all the way, you know, from the deal sourcing part where uh, recently we've seen many great tools that are helping to build or kind of identify meaningful relationships within your network. Maybe one to highlight is definitely Affinity, uh, something that uh, is, is uh, from Silicon Valley and they're doing quite impressive job. But also on the more back office part where of course, Vesbury is, um, is one of the providers where you know, we are automating the, the, the portfolio uh, monitoring or the fund management. So the fund managers can actually focus on what matters. And that's really the value creation on the portfolio level where the, the, the investors should be helping the portfolio companies to create value and, and help the, the early or like maybe less experienced uh, managers to, to, to scale the company. So they shouldn't be focusing on reporting to LPs, which on the other side is super critical uh, to, to have a healthy relationship with your investors and the fund. So you need to adopt some kind of IT, IT systems to manage all of these requirements, right? So, and, and Excel won't do it uh, for, for long. So, um, definitely, this is this is a, a massive topic which will also uh, improve, I would say, uh, the the whole or will make it more attractive the whole asset class to have the real time access to information what is happening in the fund. Whereas in the public equities or public markets, you can have real time information about the the prices, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think the the private market has to pick up, and I think technology will be a massive driver uh, to get to that level. Um, of, of public public equities. Maybe if I could make one more comment uh, to, to, to the previous topic, I think the, the private uh, capital is super important for uh, the whole asset class. Uh, and simply, uh, it cannot be driven by the public, public uh, initiatives for, uh, for, the, for the next years, uh, as um, you know, we've seen some single LP funds uh, here, at least in Central Europe, uh, which is not validated by by the by the private private interest, right? But first, we have to get some meaningful returns. So I think once we get these uh, you know numbers out, that uh, at least here in Central Europe, we can you can you can return money to LPs and you can outperform uh, some public equities. I think that's that's where you start the, getting these banks and insurance companies to invest into into the asset class, at least here here in Central Europe. So just my comments or two cents on the on the previous topic. Um, actually, Marek, on, and, uh, there is actually very good data already and, and the funds who have been around 10 or 20 years, uh, multiple generations, the, the Central and Eastern European returns um, are, are on par with Western European returns. There's basically no difference and, and both uh, EIF and, and EBRD actually who have been very... Uh, strong investors across the past 20 years in, in this region. There's actually very good data already. So I, I, mm -hmm. I actually don't think it's anymore a question of data. I think obviously for new funds who are, who are now for the first time investing, if mm -hmm. they want to raise more money, they need to deliver results. But the data exists yeah. already. So I, I, I don't think that's the issue. I think it is actually that... that uh, um, all these banks and insurance companies have to date been able to make returns in other asset classes. Mm -hmm. um, but if you now take stock market, the volatility is there. They have had tough years, tough periods. Um, so let's see what happens now with, 
with COVID crisis and the general, uh, let's say, looming recession. Um, if if uh, some some other asset classes come down a bit, now real estate you can't anymore make money there in mm. in, in a larger scale. You know, if it, office space is becoming empty and other things. So I I think. It, it's just the fundamentals in the other asset classes, I think, uh, that will force people to invest more in private equity and, and venture. Um, so that will happen. However, in, in some countries, the regulators' attitude towards private market investments has to change um, as That's long true. as you require daily uh, or instant valuations. It won't, it won't work. Because mm. private equity needs time to build results, and and uh, very often you see that companies are marked quite low, and then the exit prices are surprisingly high. So yeah. uh, that won't be reflected by by um, by monthly or weekly or daily valuations. This is a this is an asset class where you need four, five, six years, or 10, 15 years in venture. To build the real results, so so um, so I'm 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 hopeful that the development in other asset classes will actually bring people more and more to private equity. That's true. Definitely, regulation on the national level, I would say, is uh, is, is is another topic uh, for another another podcast. I would say. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Maybe we do one uh, next year. But let me actually come back to the valuations. I think that's a very interesting topic and we've seen a lot of movement there as well throughout the COVID crisis. What do you see happening there? I think there's a big difference if we're talking really early stage or later stage companies, isn't there? Well, I, I don't think it's actually the difference between early and late. I think it, it's, it's, let's say, local or small companies and, and the global big, big winners in every market needs. I mean, I, I, you know, since a very long time that, uh, that uh, you know, since let's say 10 years ago when, when valuation started to be uh, visible to everybody, you know, there is a misconception that a small company starting out of, out of Austria or Slovakia or Finland or Estonia or Romania or Bulgaria should have the same multiples as Amazon if they are in e-commerce or now as Zoom if they are in collaboration or what have you. Um, because the high-end multiples in the U.S. in private or public market are ridiculously high. They could be 50 times revenue. And, and then people starting out with the small company that does couple of hundred thousand in revenues after a few years believe that the same multiple should be applied and obviously not and this is a huge misconception and now the markets are that way actually realizing this that a small company should actually have a much lower multiple because uh, an e-commerce business being started today in some will probably never challenge amazon so the multiple should be very different. So I think that's what has happened. So it's it's actually today, especially in a year what we are having and, and now coming to an end uh, with the COVID crisis, I think valuations have become much more realistic because every small company 
uh, won't get the type of multiples and pricing that they dream of. And I think overall, the valuations are down and investors have a little bit more time and, and leverage in negotiating prices. So what I see, what we were paying a year or two ago is probably now down by 20 or 30 percent and only really, really fast growing, profitable, larger companies can, can command uh, still high, high multiples. So I think multiples have gone down. Um, and I think it's healthy. Marek, what is your take on it? Yeah, I would say here, here I definitely agree with with Pekka. What what he said. Um, maybe my my add or comment to that is, well, uh, <clears throat> historically the the best vintage years are the crisis years, right? So, and I think if I should connect it also to back to the LP topic, um, the the LPs, I think for, when the COVID hit, I think they were quite. Uh, hesitant uh, what to do. I think a lot of GPs were also afraid about their liquidity uh, and, the, and their capital calls. But I think now um, the, there is, uh, this is, this is going to be another opportunity for the asset class to grow as the valuations are uh, quite uh, reasonable now, I would say, or getting more reasonable. Um, and uh, it's, 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 it's just going to boost the, the whole ecosystem. I, it's it's my, my, my take on that. Thank you. I would actually like to touch on one more topic. Uh, when we're talking about the COVID crisis, how did the attitude of LPs change? Like, is there still a lot of investments going into funds? Or let me put the question the other way around. How hard is it to really fundraise during this period of time for a new fund and not necessarily a first-time fund, just a next fund? Um. Yeah, maybe maybe I can take this one first. Um, since we are organizing conferences and us, we had to switch to online as well. And we were discussing these topics, especially in April <clears throat> and May. And uh, we were also, you know, trying to collect as much data from from the from the attendees and especially the LPs. And uh, what we saw is that LPs were really the first day. I would say April, May, June. They were really just waiting. Okay, they didn't want to make any calls. They they didn't have any visibility for the for the upcoming months like what's going to happen so there is i think a lot of a lot of investors were also afraid that uh they won't be able to to continue with the fundraising which was definitely probably a hard time for for the gps to go and talk to lps also switching from offline to online you know this this was really just um, a big change at, at all fronts but i think now uh the lps are saying they want to be supporting the asset class, they want to be investing into venture and PE. Uh, so I think, you know, as, as we go through this transition more into the online world, I think uh, the upcoming months will be more more friendly for uh, for in terms of the fundraising. I think overall, you know, the data after three quarters and now soon closing the fourth quarter, I, I think is supportive of, of that the asset class overall globally has collected a lot of money, but actually it is very much polarized that the larger funds and those with a terrific track record have been able to collect a lot of money from the existing LP base. Uh, there has been fairly little uh, completely new LPs entering the space and fairly little new LPs taken into 
into existing managers because people have just by and large re-upped with the managers that they have. Um, we, for example, had a discussion with a fairly large family office um, in, in the billions, and they said that uh, they just made a decision that if they can't meet the teams multiple times in person, they will not make any commitment. So they are waiting. As long as travel is not possible, they are not committing to new managers at all, but are happy to re-up with existing managers. Um, of course, there are differences, and I think, uh, like Marek just mentioned, um, starting this autumn, you know, from September, October onwards, people have been, some LPs have just made the decision that, okay, maybe it has to be three video sessions of two hours. That has to be enough because otherwise we will not be able to meet people. So I think there are LPs who have decided, let's continue business as normal. Let's use more digital online tools for meeting uh, with, the, with the managers. Um, some others have just said, you know, look, this is still people's business and we want to spend time with, uh, with the team whom we are trusting our, our capital and we won't make any commitments until we can start meeting people again. Yes, um, absolutely. I think no matter how fast the digitalization is, is you know, going and being much more used also in the in this industry it still might be very hard to trust someone you've never met in person with larger um, group of assets um, but let us switch gears a little bit from looking into the past to more looking into the future what are your predictions for the next year and the next 10 years perhaps what do you think will be the trends that we will see in the industry? Well, I, I think if I may, you know, the, our industry is changing actually and needs to change faster. So the couple of trends are there are, there are new type of funds or investment groups or hold, holding companies that do it very differently. Um, they are very successful, um, some of them, and, and they don't play by the standard terms. They don't accept, uh, let's say, a normal uh, limited partner agreement that has uh, 2% fees and 20% carry. It might be 0% fees and 50% carry, or it might be high fees for various types of activities. So there's a, there's a mix of new type of players coming to the industry, and some of them are, are very good in fundraising, and, and that's uh, disrupting the traditional LPGP relationship. And I, I think we will see a lot of this. And like I mentioned earlier, I think five years time, half of the money is collected by a press of a button through, mm -hmm. through various online channels. So I think that's going to change the industry because then the GPs can actually, both from strategically and, and from a LPGP relationship point of view, collect money in unorthodox new ways. So I think that's changing. The other thing is certainly diversity um, in the setup. So I mean, 3DS, we have a team of uh, 15 people and I think we are representing 13 different countries and speaking 20 languages. And, and uh, so uh, maybe, maybe the female male mix is not yet there of being 50-50, but in every other way, we are a very diverse organization. But many others are still, uh, you know, same type of people, 
from just one country and everybody from the same uh, university or most you know, same business school that they all went together. So I think this will be disrupted and it's happening. And especially in venture, where, where many people play pan-regional or pan-European or global, you have to have very diverse teams um, in order to do well. So I think diversity in every which way within the teams and in the setups and the forms is, is today a reality, but it's increasing ever more. Yeah, I mean, from, from my perspective, definitely the digitalization topic um, is a big one and, and, and the one that's going to transform that industry um, from, you know, uh, any aspect, as I said, whether it's the, the front office or more the back office uh, things, but also what we, we're seeing some new companies as, as I'm in that uh, landscape, also the fund administration, you know, now you have to be, um, uh, you have to have your fund administrator in Luxembourg or somewhere, but now we see these kind of more, I would say, digitized or kind of virtual SPVs with the full fund administration uh, processes done by the software, etc. So, which also then enables even what, what, what Becca said to make these investments via, you know, click of a button. Um, if you can pour, if you can uh, put this money into some kind of digital, digital vehicles that can act either as the funds or as LPs to other funds, right? So I think we're really seeing the, the capital to be transferred or kind of managed more in the digital way. And I think in the next, you know, um, five years, I think we'll, we'll see a, uh, a, a big shift also in the in, in, in this way. So uh, yeah, clearly I'm super excited about that. <laughs> um, so and yeah, the second topic, diversity, I think definitely is something that um, is um, an issue in this industry and, and has to be transformed. And I think also a lot of um, important stakeholders in the ecosystem uh, are in a way pushing for this transformation, which should uh, happen uh, in the in the upcoming years. And I think that's something that should create a lot of value uh, in terms of the, the whole asset class. So thank you very much. We're actually slowly running out of time. So I'd like to move towards the final phase of the podcast. And I have a few what I call them the speedy questions. Uh, we always do them at the end of the podcast. We have three of them. And this time I have a special fourth one too for the special episode. But let's start with what technologies do you currently see that make you most excited? Marek, go first. Mm -hmm. Definitely artificial intelligence uh, and the machine learning capabilities. It has an impact on every single vertical. So it's going to transform everything. So for me, solar energy is the big one. You know, it's, it's, we invest in various other types of technology. We don't invest in the solar, but we need to solve the, the global energy problem. And I think solar and every year it's better and better. So I think solar energy is, the, is for me the solution for the next phase of, in the future. So. Thank you. The next one is, how do you take care of your mental health? Marek, go first again. So outside of work, I try to switch uh, my mind to, to some other activities. And I like to do, I, play, I like to play on a guitar, sports or hiking over the weekend. Thank you, Pekka. So I think uh, there are tons of things and uh, <laughs> obviously in this, but being a, 
being a Finn, so I think the forest, the woods, that's where, where there is uh, a lot of good stuff and gives you perspective. So I would say take a walk in the forest and go and chop wood. Uh, there is not much else <laughs> problematic. Then, yeah. Thank you. Very nice. Uh, what are some of the resources that you could recommend and why? It can be anything. Book, podcast, lecture, newsletter. Mm-hmm. Marek? Um, so I really enjoyed the newsletter from uh, CB Insights. Uh, I think it's quite catchy and sometimes funny and on point information. So definitely a lot of value for me. I would suggest the newsletter from CB Insights. And uh, recently I've read the book Sapiens by Harari, maybe late for, for the audience, but uh, I, I really thought there were some, some good insights. So uh, Sapiens by Harari. Nice. Agree on both. Pekka, you? Well, I think, you know, for work and, and uh, general interest, obviously one reads a lot of digital resources and, and, and tons of podcasts and, and other things is, is good listening. But I think the one thing that I, I sort of really like to do is to read properly researched uh, newspaper articles in the top uh, top newspapers of the world. So, you know, Financial Times, New York Times, Washington Post, some of the local papers, Zeit uh, in Germany, and and so forth. So I think uh, it's hard to do that on a digital environment. And I, I like to pick up a newspaper at least once a week and read <laughs> read a long, well-researched article. So I think that's that's important to me. But maybe it is more my mental health <laughs> question than and what are good resources, but uh, I like to do that. Going back to the offline world. All right, the last and the special question, what do you wish for for this Christmas? Um, Yeah, I think just to get, you know, get together with the family and enjoy the peaceful time. I think that's also part of the the, uh, the mental health (laughs) thing, you know, just just to really switch off the mind for, for a week or two and then get get back to work. So looking forward to the peaceful times. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yes, similar to that. And obviously I think a lot of people are wishing that this Christmas we start to have a COVID vaccine at some point to, to get life back to normal so we can get really together with a lot of people. But I think as a Finn, my wish for Christmas is that everybody on the planet would actually believe that Father Christmas Santa Claus comes out of Northern Finland. So <laughs> I think that's that's the important important thing for me. Absolutely, Santa is from Finland. Thank yep. you both so much for the episode. I will run for a quick summary before we uh, part ways. Uh, we had a huge amount of insights throughout our talk, uh, so let me pick some of the important points. I think one was that there is definitely lately more public money available, which is a good input into the industry, but hopefully will also activate more private capital. Uh, There might be several reasons why this is not happening right now, but it's indeed a very important thing uh, to happen. Um, Another was that uh, there is, of course, digitalization speeding up like in every other industry, especially throughout COVID, but there's still a lot of work to be done in the venture capital and private equity industry. Uh, We talked a little about valuations too. 
we said that there might be a misconception when it comes to multiples and that often like smaller local companies just can't have the same multiples as the big global companies. And this is currently uh, getting more adjusted and coming back uh, sort of with feet to the ground, uh, which is a good thing. Um, about fundraising from LPs, we said that, of course, during the spring, when the whole crisis really started, LPs were waiting, but it seems like right now um, it's a little bit more friendly atmosphere to actually fundraise for funds, even though it might still be a little bit easier for either larger funds or those with an amazing track record. Um, however, it seems like things are looking more positive right now. We turned a little bit to the future too, and we talked about what do we expect to happen next in the industry. One important topic was definitely diversity, and we agreed that there is some fresh air needed in the industry as well. Second really important topic, digitalization, how we will collect money with a push of a button, but also fund administration, uh, relationship management, and so on, which might be actually needed to be done more digitally. Um, and another topic was definitely that there might be new investor groups, but also new ways of putting terms down that the traditional LPGP relationship will be disrupted uh, and new things and new products might uh, become a little bit more regular. Is there anything else that's really important to you that I'm missing? No, that sounds very comprehensive. So I would just like to thank uh, everyone. Uh, Yasmina, thank you. Pavel, thank you. Marek, thank you. And wish everybody Merry Christmas. I think that's yeah. what we hope that you have a peaceful and nice Christmas time with your families and loved ones. Yeah, well, also, thank you very much. Also, a uh, great summary. I think we highlighted all the important points and Thanks for the invitation to this podcast, and I hope everybody will enjoy a peaceful time during Christmas. Thanks. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas also from my side, and hopefully we can spend some time with families and loved ones now. Thank you, and take care. Mm -hmm.